Should old acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind? Should old acquaintance be forgot and days of old lang syne? Hey everyone, welcome back. This is Love Speaks for Monday, December 4th, 2023. It's finally Advent. Happy Advent and Happy New Year. We're in the new liturgical year. It's year B. It's the year of Mark, as we say. So this year, once we hit ordinary time mostly, we'll be reading through um, the Gospel of Mark and, of course, a little bit here in Advent. Um, that means that we're officially retiring the Maricacus commentaries for now. They're they're only on Matthew, which is always a sad day. So we want to thank those lovely books for their help um, in the last couple of months. But we'll never retire from Greek Bible, will we? No way. No way. Uh, the start of Advent means that we've switched officially to the Little Blue Breviary. So if you are not familiar with my first ever cinematic success, first and only cinematic success, the Little Blue Breviary, feel free to look for that on my YouTube channel. It's a wonderful uh, <laughs> sort of time capsule, especially if any of you know Father Jim Olofsson, hashtag the Jimmy Chronicle, um, then you'll be particularly glad for his cameo in there. But the Little Blue Breviary is back, and that's uh, a wonderful thing. Um, during Advent, I am doing for spiritual reading a book called The Cantata of Love, which is by a French Jesuit named Blaise Armijon. Blaise Armijon. A-R-M-I-N-J-O-N. -I, I think it's still in print. You can find it on Amazon. The Cantata of Love is a verse-by-verse -verse reading of the Song of Songs. And um, this is one of those books that I have that's like taped up on the spine. And I bought it used, I think. And it's filled with someone else's writing and my writing. And I, I just love this book so much. So I've read it um, many times over the last eight years or so since I've bought it. And it's, uh, it's a great companion. Um, if you're looking for a good spiritual read, um, a verse-by-verse -verse reading of the Song of Songs. Such a beautiful book, um, kind of inaccessible. I once did a wedding for uh, a friend of mine, and she had chosen for her first reading a reading from the Song of Songs and um, started with the words, Hark my lover, here he comes. And she wanted me to take out the word lover because she thought it was too erotic. So I hadn't discovered this book yet. But I was tempted, after I found it, to send her the piece about it in the very beginning of the introduction where it talks about different readings of the book of the Song of Songs over the centuries and how this different saints have responded to the idea that uh, it might be too erotic. Um, in responding to that, one of my favorite responses is from St. Teresa of Avila, who simply said, um, Merciful God, how great is our stupidity. <laughs> How great is our stupidity? I love that. Anyway, um, that's going to be on a t-shirt, I think, in a lot of... It fits for a lot of good situations, doesn't it? Uh, I'm grateful to my friend KT Rez, um, who sent me the, the picture of their liturgical New Year party, which is the cover photo for this podcast on RhinoDorgian.com. 
it I think will also be in the newsletter. So thank you uh, to the Reznicek family for their um, witness of hashtag liturgical living, as KT Rez described it. Appreciate that. Um, also, remember during Advent, we are going to do our Gospel of Luke challenge. So for the month of December up until Christmas Eve, December 24th, we'll read a chapter of Luke every day. Um, there are 24 chapters of the Gospel of Luke. The idea, of course, being that by the time Christmas actually rolls around and the Lord is born, we have a much better sense of who he is and what his mission really was, um, going through the life, death, resurrection uh, of Jesus in those 24 chapters. One chapter a day. Of course, today is the fourth, so um, if you're not starting till now, it's not too late. And um, the first chapter is a little long, but you can still play catch up, and that will be perfectly fine. Uh, maybe if I get my ducks in a row, I was thinking about doing an Instagram live a couple of times a week just to read together the Gospel of Luke, but we'll see how it goes. Um, I hope that you um, have had a good beginning of Advent. I always find it uh, a really good time to sort of adopt this, the attitude of like return. Uh, a return to a, a, a routine, a return to a, a kind of fervor, which can sometimes get lost in the busyness of the fall. Of course, this is the first fall in a long time that I haven't really been that busy. Um, but it's amazing how distracted you can still get. And, of course, that's the content of the first Sunday of Advent's Gospel from Mark chapter 13. Uh, what I say to you, I say to everyone, watch, be watchful. No doubt you heard homilies about that this weekend, um, and I hope that they were applicable to your life in some way. Um, but remember that ultimately we are watching for one thing, and that's not the presence of God in our lives, although we're certainly doing that. But we are watching for the second coming of the Lord. The Office of Readings from yesterday, the first Sunday, had a beautiful excerpt from the writing um, of St. Gregory the Great, who kind of had just let us, I'm sorry, what am I saying? It was Cyril of Jerusalem, <laughs> not Gregory the Great. I was looking at something else. Um, and he has a, a beautiful kind of catechetical instruction on the twofold coming of Christ, which is what we celebrate at Christmas. So we commemorate his coming wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger, born of a virgin. But at the second coming, we recognize, Cyril says, that he will be clothed in light as in a garment. In the first coming, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And in the second coming, he will be in glory, escorted by an army of angels. We look beyond the first coming and await the second. At the first coming, we said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And at the second, we shall say that again. But we will go out with the angels to meet the Lord and cry out in adoration. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So Christmas is really the celebration of the twofold coming. Uh, one we mark historically has happened, and one we look toward the future. But the theme of it all is simply to watch, to watch. Um, the help of our friend GreekBible.com, watching, of course, means to be awake, to be alert. Um, the French word regarder, right? We want to regard it. We want to look at it and take it in. Um, but it's also interesting that in the Greek, this, this word Gregorio, to watch can also mean to be alive, to be alive. And so um, I, I think that um, that's the shift for me anyway. Not that I've been dead. I certainly haven't been, been dead <laughs> physically. 
and not spiritually either, but um, this morning at Mass, one of the prayers of the faithful was for those who essentially are sleepwalking. That was the word that they used at this church, that they're sleepwalking through life, um, that we would find a way to be awake. We would find a way to be watchful. Um, and in a beautiful way that we would find a way really to be um, alive. So that's what Advent is. We go into the darkness, but it's not a darkness of despair or doubt or scariness, but it's the darkness of a winter night. Some of my most peaceful memories are walking through Mundelein, uh, the seminary, a thousand acres of forest and the lake and the beautiful buildings and doing that in the winter night when it's dark out but somehow it's bright it's it's lit up by the moon uh, the snow is glistening maybe there's some animals outside but it's just a very peaceful experience and i can just remember having i don't know such just an encounter um, with god and with myself in the peace and the stillness of that night and uh, one of my favorite quotes it's a uh, passages from the old testament wisdom 18 um, which I think describes this moment of Advent very well, that uh, when the night was in the midst of its course, the word leapt from the royal throne into the doomed land. So all things being at peace, the night is in the midst of its course. One translation says the night is half spent, and the royal throne leaps into the doomed land and then it gets kind of dark. It talks about swords and destruction. But we see more clearly when we take the time to really watch. And we don't always do that, <laughs> do we? We don't always like to do that, do we? We like to say that we do, and we like to think that, oh, going to Mass on Sundays and Advent is the same as sitting and watching. But I guess my challenge for us this Advent is to maintain the same traditions of hope and all of that. I hope you all have your Advent calendars out or whatever, and that you have your decorations going and your Christmas music going or whatever. Um, there's really good Advent playlists now on Spotify if you're interested in some of those. But I think that for me, this difference this year with Advent, just given my own life and my own year that I've had is I really perceive the Lord inviting me to to stop sleepwalking that that word really hit me today and to do it a different way maybe and that is simply to sit before the places of my life where I would really like the Lord to come and really like the Lord to speak those places of my life where Jesus has yet to be born so to speak and just sit there before them and watch for his coming within them. Do you have a sense of what those parts of your life are? I guess that is probably the best starting point. The best place is to really look at your life, not the world. Stop looking at the world. Can you believe the Pope kicked Cardinal Burke out of his apartment? Who cares? Who cares? Someone came to me once in confession in Naperville and said, uh, I'm just so angry about what the cardinal in Mongolia said. And I said, do you know that you're in the first century and a half worth of people who could even 
know that Mongolia exists, <laughs> much less that there's a cardinal there, and much less know what the cardinal said. How's your own life going? How's your heart? How's your mind? How's your family? How's your job? How's your prayer life? How's your life going? How's your heart going? How's your day going? Do you perceive Jesus is with you in it? Be holy, no matter what it costs. That's the great line from St. Claude. Make me holy, O oh my God, and do not spare me in the making. That's such an important kind of prayer. Do we feel that we will be able to say that in sincerity? Make me holy, O oh my God, and do not spare me in the making. Because remember that Jesus, his witness to us shows that this thing gets brutal. <laughs> This thing gets hard. This thing gets dark. He's the one who bears the cross, heedless of its shame, because he's convinced of the joy that lies ahead. And we've been promised that joy. We don't have the same omniscience or whatever that Jesus did, but we've been promised the same joy. But Jesus in the gospel, he says, follow me. And he shows us the way. And he, by doing that, promises us indirectly the same shame, the same difficulty. So why are we surprised when it gets hard? Why are we surprised when it gets dark? But these are trying times. And St. Teresa of Avila, again, she has that really funny line that in the midst of great difficulty, she says, Lord, if this is how you treat your friends, it's no wonder you have so few. And I think that that's something that it's worth reflecting on as well. But the proposal for Advent the admonition of Jesus in the gospel, watch, to be alive, to be awake, to be attentive and vigilant. Before what? What am I looking for? What am I doing? Two stories are coming to my mind. One of them is uh, the story of, um, it's from the West Wing, if you ever watched that. Of course, living in Washington, I'm thinking a lot about the West Wing. Um, and Martha, Martha, Martin Sheen, Martin Sheen's character. The president is Catholic. Martin Sheen is Catholic in real life, but the president um, in the show is Catholic as well. And there are many times where prayer plays a huge role. There's one scene in particular, though, that sticks out in my mind, and it's when Mrs. Landingham, his beloved secretary, is, um, you know, she doesn't choose much for herself. She's a very simple woman, and there's an entire episode, basically, where she's talking about getting a new car. She goes out to get the new car, and uh, on her way home in the new car, uh, she dies. She gets killed in a car accident, and it really wrecks the president. And he goes to church. It's supposed to be the cathedral in Washington, but I suspect that uh, the Archdiocese of Washington would let them film in there, so it's actually the National Cathedral, Episcopalian. Um, and he gets so mad at God. It's a very poignant scene. He gets so mad at God. He yells at God, and of course the producers of the show make it very effective scene, highlighting the echo of Martin Sheen's voice in that huge place. The idea that there's no answer coming. And you can't help but think about uh, the prophets of Baal, the destruction of the prophets. Um, no one is listening. No one came to those prophets' aid because nobody was listening. And that's our temptation when we cry out. And Martin Sheen, he cries out, 
and all he gets back is the echo of his own voice and he lights a cigarette in the church and he throws it on the floor and walks out kind of leaving behind just that burning cigarette on the floor and his own echo that's all we can do sometimes it's so unsatisfying <laughs> it's so unsatisfying it's hard and it's annoying and it can feel a little bit like we're just yelling into an empty space the test is not are you going to yell into the empty space but the text that the test is what are you going to do next what are you going to do next are you going to abandon hope and move on to something else or will you stay Will you stay with it? Will you go back to scripture? Will you go back to mass faithfully? Will you continue to yell into the empty space? That's a question that I'm having to face as well. It gets exhausting to yell into the empty space. Especially when things are really serious. When things are really dark. And all you want is an answer. All you want to know. Lord, I'm serving you. I'm doing my best. And all I want to know is what the hell. <laughs> All I want to know is what the heck are you up to? It only benefits him to tell us, right? It's his kingdom that doesn't come to full fruition if he doesn't tell us what he wants, especially to those of us who want to follow. But he's always teaching us something greater, something greater. And the ones among us who are very perceptive spiritually are the ones who are the best because they can help us understand a little bit about what he's up to, even when we can't see it. And remember, sometimes those who are the most spiritually perceptive, they're not the ones with the degrees in theology or the ones who uh, teach in the seminaries or even who are your parish priests all the time. God tells us it's the simple-hearted, right? It's the meek that will inherit. It's the pure of heart that will see God. So stay close to those people who you perceive to be quite close to the Lord because of the way that they're living and the way that they have lived and the way that they have suffered. Because I bet you that those people that you look up to spiritually, those people who you really perceive to be the ones who can sit before these great mysteries with peace, they have suffered in ways that you could never imagine. Because that kind of listening and that kind of perception, that doesn't just come out of nowhere, you know. So remember that. How do I get in touch um, with this deeper place it's the same way we get in touch with anything else in Christianity we have to meet people who have been there first um, and that's the way that the Lord passes this thing on the second story that's coming to my mind is, is a little bit more uh, personal definitely close to home I, I have a high school teacher who I, I really respect and I, I looked up to this guy a lot um, when he was my teacher and I, I thought we were quite, quite close, actually. But he now, in the meantime, has, has left teaching. And he's become, um, I think he's trying to be an actor, perhaps. He's living maybe in Los Angeles or in New York or something. But he also has an online ministry. I always knew he was a faithful guy, but he has an online ministry. Um, when I had him as a teacher, he was engaged to a woman. Um, but over the course of... Uh, some years the engagement broke off and he eventually came out as gay um, and he started this ministry as a ministry of healing for people who have been harmed by their religious communities especially in the areas of sexuality so if you are up at all on 
kind of current topics, especially in psychology. Um, there's a lot of discussion of trauma, trauma history, and one of those categories of trauma is religious trauma or spiritual trauma. And um, to, maybe we all have some of that, I think. Um, and when you listen to people's stories, especially about why they no longer believe what they believed as children or what they, why they don't participate in the faith life of their parents, a lot of times it has to do with some kind of religious trauma, that something happened to them or something that perceived happened to them or whatever. We don't want to cheapen, of course, their experience because trauma is real for sure. Um, however, uh, I, I've just become very turned off by this ministry. Um, and I think it's an important ministry in a way because, as I've said, people do have this experience and people have had terrible experiences with the church where um, people have really told them, like, you're not welcome here because of uh, this identity that you have. And or that you you know you identify as gay or transgender or whatever and in the past it was much different right if you're divorced how many divorced people do i know from ministry who don't come to mass or still don't receive the eucharist after years and years and years of being divorced they've never been remarried they don't have you know a, a special someone but someone when they were young told them that even if you get divorced under any circumstances for any reason you cannot ever receive the eucharist until it's been annulled or whatever. And like, that's just not what the church teaches. Um, so there's a lot of people who have had religious experiences that are traumatic and gratuitous because they don't actually line up with what the church is asking. Um, anyway, w one day, maybe you remember a few years ago, the, the French government did a kind of inquiry into sexual abuse in the church in France. And it came up with this like completely... I mean, I'm not in France. I don't know anything about it, really. <laughs> it just seems to me that it was really exaggerated. The math of it all did not add up. Uh, something, hundreds of thousands of victims of sexual abuse of, the, of priests in France. But then the number of, of supposed perpetrators in the time period that they did, it, would, it was like every perpetrator of abuse was supposed, could mathematically could have had like, 500 victims or something. Anyway, I, I don't have it in front of me. I should have pulled it up. I apologize for that. But it was a very high, high, high number of victims of abuse, of um, clergy sexual abuse in France. And this guy, this teacher, posted on Facebook basically a challenge. He said to all of his Catholic followers, I, I, I challenge, I want you to tell me why you still involve yourself with that organization the catholic church why do you have anything to do with it after all this that comes out and now in france you see it's more egregious than we could have ever have imagined it was very stream of consciousness and halfway through his little post he said actually don't tell me because i don't want to know how you can keep going how you can do it how you can answer for this don't tell me because i don't want to know because there's nothing that you can say it was from a very deep place. I don't know anything about this guy's history or anything. and um, I don't have much contact with uh, any contact with him, actually. But my first inclination was to say, like, yeah, hang your head, right? This, this the Catholic response, right? Let me wring my hands over it. Let me wring my hands and feel bad and make apologies. And, and we have to, right? We, you know, I've, I've always said when I give talks to seminarians that people will challenge you on this topic. 
And the, the most important thing that you can say to build trust is to say, you are correct. <laughs> you are correct. The people who have come before us handled this egregiously, uh, wrongly. They were wrong. And, and great, great harm was caused by it. The harm itself, of course, was the actions carried out by people who were supposed to be acting in the name of God. But um, just as bad is this widespread kind of cover-up nonsense. If you, I've always told people, if, especially seminarians, if you're worried about it, listen to what people are saying to you, and you'll probably agree with them. It's not a defeat. It's not selling out the, the, the beauty of the church to say, yeah, that was a terrible thing. <laughs> it was badly handled. Because um, that will build trust, actually, and because that's the truth. However, I thought of that. All right, oh, I'm really sorry, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm the priest, probably the only priest on your news feed here. Let me chime in. That's a big pressure I feel always, by the way, watching people have debates um, about church things, especially when they're on the peripheries, as Pope Francis would say, oh, I'm the priest, I should probably weigh in, but I never do. I simply never do. I have this deeply seated philosophy that a Facebook comment section is just not the place to do it, but maybe I'm wrong about that. Anyway, the second thing that occurred to me, though, in the midst of that was, don't you get it? <laughs> don't you get it? You've come out on your Facebook page, guns blazing, keyboard blazing don't you get it that the people who have chosen to stay and to practice and to give don't you understand that we are doing what you told us to do that's the only way we can go forward he ended his post by saying I don't want to hear what you have to say I just want you to sit there and think about this sit before these numbers sit before these information and I don't need to hear what you have to say I don't care what you have to say just sit before it and make a decision and, I, and I'm like I, I wanted to say don't you get it don't you understand like that is what we are doing that's the only thing that we can do is to sit before this stuff and to wonder about it what the heck where were you Lord you know, the words of, of Martha and Mary come to us. If you had been here, our brother would not have died. Where were you? Why are you sleeping in the boat? Don't you care if we perish? All we can do is sit before these great mysteries, these great places of pain in the world, but also in your life. That's why I want you to think really long and hard and be honest about what are the ways in which your life kind of stinks right now. and What would you really wish was different? And we think, oh, if I was nicer, or if I acted better, or if I prayed more, or if I uh, went to Mass more often, or if I changed this, or did that, or hung a rosary from my rear view, whatever. We get ourselves into thinking, like, well, what if I did this? Well, but what if the Lord is simply waiting for you to shut up? <laughs> what if the Lord is simply waiting for us to be quiet and to sit before the great mysteries of the difficulty of our life and the joy of our life, too? What if that's what he's waiting for? To be awake, to watch, to be vigilant, to be attentive, to sit before the difficulty in silence and just say, what, where are you, why are you, how are, what the heck? It's not a lack of faith to ask that question of the Lord. Are you even there? 
<laughs> that doesn't seem like it. Are you with me? Are you are you walking with me? Or do you care about my suffering? And in what ways are you revealing yourself to me? That's been my question. And that's that's what my spiritual director has kind of advised me to, to try and turn, right? Not where are you, where were you, why, why, why? But to turn it from that into show me where you are at work. Show me where you are at work. And I just keep coming back to this. Um, you know, I'm, I'm on sabbatical now, and I'm going to be getting a new assignment in the new year at some point. And I have all these ideas about what I wish it would be and all these negative feelings because I'm like, that's never going to happen. That's never going to happen. That's never going to happen. And I can just, I feel this invitation from Jesus lately to simply, to, to, to stop praying for specific things, to stop praying for specific minds to be changed, and to simply pray two prayers. One, Jesus, I'm asking you for an assignment in which I will really thrive. And two, Jesus, give me the grace to desire ahead of time what it is that you want so that when it becomes clear, I will have already maybe not known it exactly in its logistical truths, but I will be open to it and I will be able to say yes with a spirit of joy. We have to watch. We cannot solve. Nothing is up to us at the end of the day. Yeah, the logistical tasks and who's getting where, when, and we got to make lunch and all that. That's true. But these ultimate things that plague us and steal our peace, they probably steal our peace because we put too much of ourselves into them and we think it depends on us. If I could just, how many times do you think that? If I could just, if I could just make this argument more convincing, if I could just crack this person <laughs> over the head. No, just kidding. If I could just crack the code of this person's life and intentions, if I could just, if I could just, if I could just. And the Lord is saying, if you would just be quiet, <laughs> if you would just sit before the great mystery of this problem, and he reveals himself in the difficulties, and he reveals us to ourselves in the difficulties. Think of that marvelous motto of the state of Kansas, ad astra perospera, to the stars through difficulty, to the heights through difficulty. So the season of Advent is indeed a dark one. It is indeed a perilous time. It's a weird time. But I want you to remember that it's not a lonely time and that in the darkness in the stillness in the peace there's a presence there a presence who's been waiting for us for much longer than we can ever comprehend and watching being alive being attentive being vigilant these are things that are um, incumbent on the human experience they're very very important parts um, of kind of what we're asked to do but it's also a great joy to be able to do it. There's a lot of joy that's hidden in that because it's it's a laying down of your rifle. <laughs> it's a laying down of the battle flag. It's a laying down of the constant hemming and hawing over what I can do and what I should be doing and what's my fault and what can I do to manufacture and manipulate the future and all of that. How can I solve the family's woes? How can I solve my own woes? How can I solve the woes of the cardinal in Mongolia? Nah, the Lord's not asking you to do any of those things. What I tell you 
I tell all, simply watch, simply wait, commemorate the coming of the Lord in the flesh, and eagerly await the coming of the Lord at the end of time and history when he comes clothed in power and glory and honor. But maybe more than that, pray and ask for the Lord to come into your life this Advent in a new way. Perhaps through these practices, praying the Gospel of Luke, certain spiritual reading, going to Mass once more during the week, something like that. Jesus, come into my life. Reveal yourself to me in a really concrete and tangible way. And then, watch. Watch. Because he'll do it. Because he'll do it. Anne Lamott, one of my favorite authors, she says, to activate grace, simply cry, help, and then buckle up. (laughs) I love that. I hope you all have a wonderful week. Happy Advent, everyone. Happy New Year. I hope to uh, get my Christmas cards out this week. Hopefully, yours are coming along if you choose to do it. And um, anyway, pray for me. Know my prayers for you. Uh, I hope you're all bearing the cold well wherever you are. If you're in Chicago, I know it's been chilly. Here in Washington, it's been foggy, 60 degrees and foggy. Super cool, super cool. Great bike ride in today. I'll be with you in the coming weeks, and uh, let's pray for each other this Advent season. God bless you.